So Carter English uh, here at Hig Talks uh, with my buddy, Nick Sunderman. Nick is the founder, CEO of CarrotsAI.com. Has a really kind of a multitude of things in his background. And so we're going to hash through some of those things, get some advice in terms of entrepreneurship, uh, this particular uh, silo of business, and, and then we'll, we'll kind of let the conversation go from there. So uh, Nick, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad to be here. Yeah. Um, so tell me, you know, let's kind of just start from the beginning. Uh, you've done a, a number of things, grew up in Fort Worth, played baseball. Uh, but let's start with uh, your first business, uh, you know, kind of the short high level version of that leading into what kind of made you even start thinking about carrots after being out of, you know, direct, directly running a business for a little while. Right, right. Well, you, you, you mentioned real briefly that, um, you know, I did have a, a, a short stint playing baseball <laughs> and I think the stint went uh, poorly enough that I in game would start planning on what my job would be afterwards. <laughs> so it's, you're in games thinking I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> well, I was a pitcher and yeah. then I was a starting pitcher. So you've got four days of not playing. Yeah. And so you'd sit in the stands and you'd chart pitches and, for all the guys that were not playing well, we would play the game of like, what are we going to do next? <laughs> and so uh, probably not the best attitude to have, yeah. like, you know, uh, <laughs> while you're in a career yeah. is to yeah. start thinking about what's next. But uh, when your ERA is five, you have no choice <laughs> but to start thinking about other stuff. Yeah. And we used to play this game and we would say like, oh, so-and-so is going to be a athletic director and so-and-so is going to be a doctor right and everyone would always laugh and be like you're definitely going to be an entrepreneur because nice. I, I just i guess i always just sort of had like this mindset ever since i was a kid of like watching something happen and you would think like oh they could charge more for that or mm -hmm. this is how you could do that better you know yeah, yeah, and yeah. i think like i would watch the guys like go up and down the aisle selling like ice cream or hot dogs and i would point out like Oh, you know, if he did it like this, he would make like 20% more money. And they were like, you're such a weirdo. But um, unfortunately, the same sort of, you know, efficiency didn't translate to my baseball career. But I guess you could say like, you know, the thought yeah. process of trying to like start good ideas and things, you know, that was, right. that was, uh, that you know, started in baseball. Nice, nice. So you finished playing and, uh, and tell us about your first venture there and, and how that went and right. you know, where did the, even the genesis of that come from? Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, almost immediately, I mean, a matter of fact, I think really while I was still playing a, a teammate and myself had a, had a sort of sports marketing idea. And then like a lot of startups do that thing quickly evolved. And if you, you know, you know, you see people or I think we've all experienced those like power whiteboarding sessions where mm -hmm. um, you get in a room, you start an idea. And then if, if, if the computers are turned off and the phones are turned off, three hours later, you ended up somewhere completely different on the whiteboard than where you had intended. And yeah. maybe the problem that you originally went in that room to solve you're now in a completely different place, but it's a great place. Yeah. Um, definitely one of the things I miss about face-to-face -face over the last years, like that stuff, that free flow and idea exchange isn't quite as easy via Zoom and, and things like that. But um, but long story short, had this business idea over the course of 18 months, I think it really evolved. And just like a lot of people, I had my neighborhood and the city and the schools 
that I grew up going to in mind. And I you know, didn't do a lot of research or due diligence and just thought, hey, this is a small little lifestyle business and I can solve, you know, I can solve this problem for, for local schools or athletic departments. And then it turns out that that problem was much, much, much bigger. Mm-hmm. And that the, the solution and, and product and services that we came up with, it applied to pretty much every school in the United States, including small colleges. So we went from, you know, a vendor on the Fort Worth and Dallas ISD vendor list, like we went from doing that to working with, I think like probably 15, 16,000 high schools and probably nice. another 10,000 lower level schools and then a certain number of small colleges. So what percentage of high schools in the nation then would you say y'all were working with at your height? I mean, for something like a huge chunk, I mean, literally, I mean, a tiny percentage that we weren't doing something with. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think they, I think the research, you know, this could, this could have changed a lot. I don't know. I, just, I know maybe as a few years ago, there were like 7 million on any given year. There's like 7 million varsity athletes mm. so now you gotta think like that number is is way higher than that for sub varsity um but we had a huge chunk of, of that market share and then their their supporters and so mm. on and so forth um yeah. so yeah it was it was you know i think we were selling probably 35 to 40 million products a year Jeez, so That's a lot of stuff right yeah okay so uh, and I have the benefit, obviously, of I, I know kind of how this story went. And so I'm going to lead us into uh, where, where we're trying to go. So uh, you build this business, you go from, you know, you and one other partner, right? right. Yeah. And then uh, thousands of employees, right. you end up selling the business. Um, and, and I know from our conversations that uh, there's kind of a problem that you identified, an employee problem, a people problem, a retention, a motivation problem. Uh, can you speak to uh, what that was and, and how identifying that problem led into carrots? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just trying to make it as quick as possible, but I, I, I broke all of the the don't do this rules. Mm-hmm. You know, the first five people I hired were like friends and family, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, all of that. So, I, you know, when, when, when your first handful of people are people you're really close to and you know really well, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can get away with some things that you can't get away with when it's strangers. Um, And so I think good and bad, right? Like I had history of these people, so they really knew a lot about me. And, and then, you know, I was probably able to get away with a level of like casualness that like, you know, you can't as a Mm -hmm. business matures. But uh, I think, you know, you, you have to be obsessed with your customer when you start a company, right? I mean, any just kind of like sane person, when you start a company, you should have the responsibility of trying to put forth a product that's really needed. Mm. And so we did that. So I was obsessed with customer. Well, as the business went from five friends to, you know, 500 people and then maybe a thousand people. And obviously at that point in time, you don't know 95% of them, you know, um, everything shifts from being all about the customer to almost kind of that old Starbucks diagram they used to, to you know, uh, talk about where, you know, if, if, if the CEOs and leaders of a business aren't just as obsessed with taking care of their people and building good culture as you are taking care of the client, then, then the, then that triangle of success stops. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's, let me, let me, let me make sure that I'm taking, you know, the proper care of my people, you know, environmentally, um, mentally resource wise, 
let me invest in those people and then that way they're better fueled to go take care of the client right mm -hmm. like you and me trying to manage every single client is not scalable mm -hmm. so me for me to condition and, and train people to go take care of the clients the way you and i would expect you've you've got to have a, a scalable solution right and so i definitely know that you know early on it's probably 95 percent of my time was spent on client and 5% was probably unfortunately focused on the employees. And by the time I sold the company, it was at least, you know, 60, 70% of the hours that I spent in meetings were focused on, um, you know, HR benefits, um, you know, advancement summaries, you know, a, a more clear organizational chart, um, just providing an atmosphere of transparency and trying to have people thrive. Yeah. Um, definitely easier to do that right from the start. Yeah, you know, if yeah. you if you if you let your company evolve and grow to a certain point, I learned this in some ways. The hard way is that if you if you've let things kind of go for you to then do a one eighty and and start something. So you know, this time around, you know, I, I accidentally really had no intentions of being an operator again, but but I, I spent the last three years investing in in, in startups and mm. trying to find people that reminded me of of my executive team and of myself. And they were at a similar point in their life and had a problem and a product that, that made people's lives better and, and a service that was needed. And then I want to go invest in those people. I was doing that over the last three years, I started to realize that there are a lot of things that I assumed were just Nick problems that it didn't matter regardless of industry, you know, yeah. pharmaceutical, healthcare, uh, landscape, it doesn't matter. Like pick an industry and you're going to see the same sort of of people problems so you'll mm -hmm. see someone botching employee development you'll see somebody botching um you know continuing education yep. and and you know uh benefits and mm -hmm. and and just all the things that people expect out of a job you'll see somebody screwing that up right mm -hmm. so i'd had a program that was real successful inside my business and i started to one by one deploy that and the nine or ten companies that i had invested money in mm -hmm. and really started to see it work yeah so uh called a friend and said, I'm starting to get the real vibe that this could be a business by itself. That's kind of the evolution yeah, of how, started. you know, I went from starting a company to learning a lot on the fly about, you know, a healthy environment for your employees. Mm -hmm. And then now how to convert that into a business that scales and, and is a, is a tool for everybody. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So, all right. So we're gonna go down two lanes here. Yeah. One is there's obviously something in you that says, all right, I see this problem, I need to fix it from you, you know, sitting in uh, on the bench, watching guys sell hot dogs, to uh, then building obviously a, a company full of thousands of employees to then saying, okay, now I've identified a third problem, now we're gonna fix this one. Right. So uh, what do you think that thing is in you or is there a quality that you think is most needed for an entrepreneur, your entrepreneur to be successful? Yes. Um, if this one sounds like I have a canned answer, I just I just answered this to <laughs> to a, a really close friend the other day. Nice. That um, just I have a, a five year old son, and so I I try to make notes for him all the time, and mm -hmm. I don't know if obviously if he's gonna have any interest in going into business, right? And don't doesn't really concern me one way or the other. Whatever he wants to do, I want him to be successful. But every successful person I've ever been around they in in their own way were very curious people mm. and so you know that may be you're incredibly curious about learning how to write code and you just you've got this hobby that um you know 
it's tough for a lot of people to do, but you're the type of person that you want to learn it. And so you challenge yourself to do that. Or it could just be like, you're curious, like we keep talking about, you're curious about your customer. Everything in, in, you know, in business is sort of evergreen, right? It's like when you're 18 or 19, you think like, oh, let me go do this thing. And then I'm set up for life. Well, that's just not the way it works. Yeah. You know, like you're only really as good as what you're doing this week and today. And, and I find that the people that are really curious can sustain that success mm -hmm. more often because I think the runway of like, you know, in 1980, if you had a business model and it worked a certain way, it may have been 15 years before your business was disrupted. Right. And I think now, you know, just in, news and information travels so fast that, you know, if Uber works, then you know seven months later there's 40 ubers yeah right and so i think like if you if, if you're not incredibly curious then you won't continue to evolve as an individual and as a business mm. right and so i think you know we at least myself when i think about like a curious kid in school like it looks a certain way yeah. and then when you're an adult and and you see you know a curious president ceo you know, CR or whatever, it looks a little different, right? That person is going to yeah. maybe a little bit more discreet. Um, they don't look like a scientist. You don't right, look right, like right. someone that's doing a lot of exploration or, but, but in their own head, you know, it, you're just constantly thinking about what, what's next. Like, yep. what can I do next to make this situation better? And so I think, you know, curiosity, number one. Um, and then I would think, you know, the, the right little mix there is, is being an incredibly curious person with mixed with the proper amount of tenacity mm. because you know just being curious and then just you know r d trial and error that doesn't work yep so it's like you got to have the proper amount of curiosity then be able to dial it in and and grind through tough times so right. if you find somebody that's really curious and also very tenacious mm. more than likely at some point in time that person's going to get a big win yeah yeah, you know, it's funny is uh, kind of an, an aside to that, like, you know, one of the things that I always say is like, that person is the antithesis of what my worst nightmare is. I've always said, my greatest fear would be to wake up at age 65, have had just a normal, comfortable job done, you know, very little innovation, very little stretching myself, had made a good money with a comfortable house and never like push the envelope, you know, right. uh, that curious person is the one in my mind that's saying, all right, what, what's like next in this field? And how do I, you know, project and propel myself into that next thing? Right. You know? And so, as I said, there's kind of two lanes, which you answered that first one. So then the second one is you spoke to uh, a problem that you saw. And so then carrots became the fix for that problem from a technology platform. Give us the elevator. Like what is, what exactly is carrots? What's the fix that, what's the, the problem that you're, you're solving for? Right. Yeah. So I, the last question I told you, I was like fully prepared. Uh, <laughs> this one, I'm going to, I'm going to fumble bad because I, it, I care so much about it and yeah. we're working on it every day. But, um, what I would say the elevator pitches or whatever tagline I would use mm -hmm. right now, um, they all require a further explanation, right? It's, yeah. it's performance transparency. It's, it's workplace environmental transparency. You know, it's uh, it's a platform where we are we are desperately trying to give people, um, I don't want to say autonomy, but just they're in control of of their own destiny, right? So um, we like to say that we're the Peloton for business, mm. we're the Peloton for the workplace. So any company that has 
five or more people performing a repetitive task, those people should have scorecards. And those people should know at the end of every day, did I meet expectations? Did I surpass expectations? And this is not in any way at all meant to micromanage those people. It's actually meant to empower those people, right? So I think that I'll go back to just problems that I that I had mm. and problems that, that I tried to solve and then saw those problems repeating across different industries. Yeah. Like I said, whether that was healthcare or, or um, you know real estate or whatever it may have been, I found that there there really was not a company I'd ever been a part of that didn't have some, you know, varying um, management style, um, and and you weren't hearing sounds of favoritism. Yeah. Right. And so I know that as a baseball player, again, you know, you, you become a, a stat rat. Yeah. My favorite movie ever is Moneyball. Absolutely, I know it's very cliche, but like, yeah. I, I love the movie because I love you know, just the real unorthodox approach and just kind of playing the hand you're dealt and knowing that we're not the Yankees and we can't win that way, we're gonna to have to win a different way. And I think that at the end of the day, it's like the, the statistics, you know, you had the guy saying like, oh, well, a baseball player should be six foot three, 195 pounds and his arms should be this long and he looks good getting off the bus. And you're like, yeah, but you can't hit, you know? <laughs> so um, there, I definitely saw that, right? Mm -hmm. And then in business, I saw the same thing. I saw someone that like, you didn't know when you would get a report and you got, you know, I had 75 exempt level managers in my last business. And I was really just a, uh, you know, a victim of what information would they give me? Mm. Was Carter a good employee? Well, were they going off of Carter truly, right. you know, having better output, more quality output and, and being better with the clients than someone else? Or was that person really good with Carter? Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I think that, you know, I just I wanted to find a way of like, um, like I said, we, we, we love to use the term that we were the Peloton for, for the workplace, because at the end of every day, it's rewarding to see, OK, this is what my pace is like. Right. And so I think said another way, there's three problems that Keras is trying to solve. Number one, we studied it and like 90 percent of companies are late pushing out budgets in KPIs. Right. So it's the third of the month and I don't have my budget or I don't have my KPIs in front of me, if at all. Right. I mean, I've seen and as I, a just to pause right yeah. there, KPIs, key performance indicators, anyone listening. So, yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah. Right. And everybody calls them something different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, key performance metrics, like whatever you yeah. want to call them. Yeah. Um, but long story short, I mean, I was around private equity owned businesses that didn't have them, just mm. didn't have them. Well. Like you'd walk around and, and you'd say, hey, man, like, how do you know today? You know, if today was a win or a loss, well, you know, I really don't. At the end of the day, it's like you know, I'm doing my, I'm doing the best I can. Um, and so I, I saw businesses. You know, it's one thing to be a, you know, a small startup retail store and not right. know exactly how to dial it in. You can't, you can't scale a business without that. And so, problem one is people are, are late or inaccurately pushing those out. Number two, there's no platform or software to engage with. There is an overabundance of data companies out there like Tableau and Salesforce, and there's a million places to go get data and information and study what's happened in your company and maybe even bridge that back to where you should be taking your company. But then there's nothing in the middle that's really saying like, okay, this is where you are. This is how you're, this is, this is where you're going to go. This is how you're going to get there. Mm. Right. And so we want a, we want an environment just like the Peloton screen where someone can live in that space and they can see my output every day. What is, how do I compare versus my best month ever? How do I compare versus my best day ever? 
right? And then you're in control of your own destiny. You're you're in this this gamified environment with yourself to be to beat the right. best version of yourself, right? Um, and then the third thing is just the 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 the, the third problem, uh, and probably the biggest one that we're trying to solve is um, you know man ex executives and management missing key moments, right? So if I just took a deep breath and decided uh, this May I'm going to have the best month I've ever had in my life, I, you know I'm I'm going to I'm going to go to sleep every night. I'm going to get nine hours of sleep. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to prepare myself, and I'm going to concentrate. And I'm going to break every record. And I do that. And then I don't get recognized. The odds of me running that back in June are slim. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think too many times there's 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 a number of books about the key moments in in life and business. And you know it's the death of a loved one. You know the birth of a child. Hitting a hitting a work benchmark. Um, crossing over an anniversary. And 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 having leaders in your company miss those moments. Right. It's it's incredibly powerful. Yep. Um. And so. Drawing that back to carrots, there's all of this automated um, communication that's centered around your your work performance, mm. right? And mm. so, uh, number one, let's push the KPIs. Number two, let's create an environment where people can engage with that and track it and own yeah. it and live in it. And then three, let's make sure that every executive in the company is getting a notification when Carter just broke his best month or hit his goal for the month. And that way at one time in total alignment, we can share a message back to you and tell you that we're super proud of you, you know, yeah. and that you mean a lot to the organization. And I think that pat on the back, you know, we talk about carrots and, and incentives. And the reality is the, the I think the, the, the best carrot ever is having someone walk by you and pat you on the back and tell you they're really proud of you. No, I think it's really cool. I mean, I, as you kind of alluded to there, it seems to me like most of those platforms that you see are often like sales output kind of <clears throat> facing. You know, right. it's all about uh, really kind of those primary revenue drivers. But like if I was to look at Higginbotham as a whole, if you really ask me who drives the most revenue, it's really the you know, 80% of our employees that are actually doing the majority of the work and em employer interfacing. Right. Um, and, and I think it is a problem as to like, how does that person know if they're having a good day? Right. You know? And it's kind of thankless at times. So uh, I think the problem that you're solving for it definitely, I think it's a real problem. Yeah. Um, and so when you first kind of had that idea, you're new to this technology silo. Uh, you know, your previous uh, startup was more of a was more was more of a blue collar startup. And so, right. how did you even first say, okay, I've got this idea. Where do I even start? I don't know how to code. I mean, what right. did you do? Yeah, um, I mean, great point, right? And I told you my elevator pitch was messy. Like, right. we need, it, I would need like a 300-story building for that elevator ride. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. We, we tried to find a big, tall yeah. building. Yeah. So when I'm for on the sure. elevator, I've got five minutes to <laughs> yeah. talk about it. Um, no, but, I, you know, I mean, fortunately, you know, obviously going back, whatever it was, 2007, you know, going back, I did not have a lot of uh, software and code writing and, and just tech experience. And even in my last businesses, we built, you know, platforms and uh, and apps and things like that. I, I was not the person, you know, in there writing, you know, Ruby or Java or HTML or anything like that. But right. um, uh, but we, by the time I sold the company, we had been through massive uh, ERP implementations and integrations. And, you know, we'd worked with SAP and mm -hmm. um, Salesforce and Tableau and, um, 
and and then like I said, you know, I think you know I I've invested in ten different businesses in the last thirty six months, and almost every one of those businesses is on a different system, a different platform. So I've sure. sort of been forced to live in a lot of different, right? You know, uh, you know, application farms. Yeah, and, you got a lot of cross training there. A, yeah. lo a lot of different stuff, right? And so I mean, we've got retail businesses that you know everything's done in Shopify, and then we've got other businesses that are you know at the end of every day, I'm reading a Google doc, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then everything in between. So I definitely had experience as a user and I knew how to, I knew how to, you know, accomplish these things. And so it just, just made a, you know, it went from, like I said, almost a consulting uh, initiative where I was out implementing a program like carrots, mm -hmm. but we weren't doing it through software. We were doing it through an Excel spreadsheet maybe some screensaver style illustrations that would connect back to the incentives and the, and the program that they were engaged in. And, and then a year had gone by and I got a call from one of the CFOs and, and he's a real cerebral, um, you know, kind of dry guy, but you know, you listen when he talks, he doesn't talk very often. And when he does, you know, he did his homework. Right. And I did not expect him to be a big fan of, of the carrots, sort of uh not the mission but what it was i think he you know he just he's a very very uh traditional cfo mm -hmm. and i think he thought this is just this is just expensive this right. is just going to be something that we're doing that we're going to pay people to do the job they're already doing we're going to mm -hmm. pay them more to do the job they're already doing and i got a phone call from him one day and he said hey we've had this in place for eight months one group was on it you know, and then we had a, a parallel group that we left off of it, but they do the yeah. same job, so basically a same tenured, yeah. just a controlled environment. Yeah. And he calls me and he says, Hey, and right out of his mouth, he's just like, what are you going to charge for this? And I'm thinking he's just like already like preparing to tell yeah, me, hey, no, you're, you're fired. Right. Which I think <laughs> he's just going to be like, why well, I invested in the company. So we're going to fire me. <laughs> right. I mean, he was going to do it respectfully, but I yeah. think he was just going to say something like, Hey, what are you going to charge for this? And, and then I was going to throw a number out. I was going to say like, Oh, like, $10,000 a month, you know, which yeah. I wasn't going to say it was going to be like $2,500 a month for his, right. for his size group. And, uh, I thought he was just, whatever I said, I could have said five bucks and he was going to be like, Nope, it's not <laughs> worth five bucks. Right. Um, <laughs> and then I told him, I said, I think, I think I actually did tell him, I said, well, you've got, you know, 70 people on the platform and, and, uh, you know, if we're doing a traditional, you know, per seat price, I think yours is going to be about, you know, $2,400 a month. And he was like, dude, you could charge like three X that. And wow. all of a sudden, I don't remember whatever I was doing. I stopped and I was like, I got up and I started walking around and, <laughs> and I was like, well, tell me more. Like, yeah. and he was like, well, I've tried to shoot this down every which way I can. And he said, I can't. He said, the, the he said, we've had a double digit reduction in the group that had it in turnover. Wow. The other group had, you know, seven people quit. This group, you know, wow. had one person resign and I don't even know that it was related to work. And, and then, you know, they out, they, they outsold, you know, the other group by almost 20% collectively over the course of the six months. Wow. He said, so, you know, I think we generated an incremental, like with their average transaction value, it was an incremental $1.9 million in revenue. Dang. And, you know, what we were quoting him was whatever, twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year. And he was just like, was that kind of like an unintended consequence, the retention part? I mean, to me, when you first pitched it, it sounded like <clears throat> output, but I mean, the retention thing, that's, that's pretty compelling. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, you got to go through all of the reasons that people 
leave companies, mm-hmm. right? You know, is the compensation model wrong? Is the recognition piece not there? Is the advancement plan and advancement transparency for someone to move up in the company not really there? Do you have you know weak management where they're not engaging with the employees and developing people, stimulating them, challenging them? And I'm not telling you at all that the software will do all of that for you, yeah. but it definitely creates a more consistent environment. Mm. Um, and you got to think, I mean, what would college football be without a scoreboard? Yeah. And it's just at the end of every game, you had like a like an Olympic diving style panel that's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the way this team blocked. Let's give it to yeah. them, right? Yeah. That's what business was. Well, now my knee hurts, but uh, it was fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean, like we wouldn't pay attention, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, in a lot of jobs, you almost had like in, in an environment with no scoreboard. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's lots of positive byproducts of, of the software that we're just figuring out, right? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the really cool pieces that, you know, some of the listeners may like is that we've started to figure out, we've got a, we've got a really large client that has 900 employees on the platform relatively high turnover they lose about 25 people on average a month but they're they're always you know kind of there's a backstop there and a bench and they're and they're, they're filling it back in but we were able to see after 90 days of of them being on the platform we were like man let's really study the user behavior and the user habits and then also just the output of the 20 25 people that quit every month mm. and then just like you would expect boom we saw a pattern and you can now almost predict you know, which 20 or 25 are next and then possibly head that off. Yeah. Um, And then either if it's, if there's someone in that group that you really don't want to lose, you can, you can engage yourself in on day three of seeing this trend that typically ends in this place and now say, Hey, let's go get in front of Carter. This could be an issue. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then also just sort of reverse engineer it and say, how do we keep that from happening ever? Right. right? So, you know, in that vein, you know, I kind of asked about the uh, this silo in particular, and so you, you made mention of a few things. One was you kind of had a little bit of know-how from interfacing with a lot of different companies. Uh, number two was you you seemed to have that first work case where it worked, uh, and you got some praise from a CFO that you thought may not like it. Then three, it sounds to me like uh, you know a consistent theme here that you have is again that curiosity piece as you've just made mention of there's a lot of research happening even now with carrots in terms of what other problems are we solving even unintentionally and so would you say uh, in terms of in the tech space that it's really even that much different than any other space or or is it that those same tools that enabled you to be valuable or or be successful previously are, are now serving you really well here too that's a great question. I think there's always this sort of, I know for myself personally, there was always this like mystique and kind of intimidation factor when it came to, to technology. And there's, there's no denying it. I mean, it's, you know, just, just like medicine, you're definitely going to find some, some really strong academics there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that in a, in a construction business, you won't, you have, you'll find them everywhere. Right. right. If you find, you know, if you're looking at a successful organization, you've got intelligent people. I know for myself, I was all obviously very intimidated. You know, you'd see, you'd read about a, a, a tech startup and you would just immediately think like, wow, those guys are brilliant. And, yeah. and there's brilliant people doing right. them for sure. Right. But I think there's a, there's also kind of a, um, just a, like you said, maybe a, may, not standard, but there's a, there's a traditional approach to them, at, you know, on the business side that 
you know, if, if you're just using this technology to connect back to a real life problem, that's the whole point, right? I mean, that's that's where we're searching for this improved world, right? Is, sure. you know, how do we reduce car accidents? How do we reduce food poisoning? How do we, you know, and, and, and then tech plays a key piece in that. So I think that when you break down what you want tech to do, and I think, you know, the, the more black and white and the stronger your vision is for how you want it to work and, and what problems you want to solve, it becomes a lot more attainable mm. to execute that, that initiative, whether that's yeah. software or an app or whatever it may be. Um, that's at least my, you yeah. know, I mean, I was never going to be the guy to go start Google. Right. I, I don't want to take away from, from technology and, and make it seem like it's more simple than it is. But, you know, I think f for you and I to decide that we're going to go change the way that every person in the world lives and what we're doing is, is going to be really popular 10 years from now. We may not be that guy, right? right. right? But I mean, <laughs> leveraging technology to solve a very specific problem, you can speak the language enough and, and the project management side of, of building that right. is, is probably more attainable than most people would realize. Okay, so it seems to me like there's this one theme that I'm picking up on, or, or maybe you could tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, is that... Uh, I see oftentimes a lot of successful CEOs, successful coaches, leaders, they do a great job of picking the right people to be on their bench. You know, the smart person to solve this problem uh, that, that's maybe the right person on their team. Would you agree with that? I mean, in, in terms of how you started Carrots? Right. Um, I think you never want to dis discount people because uh, every company, if you don't have the right people in the right positions, you're not going to have success. Um, but I think if you assume that's sort of a given, uh, the two areas that when I'm investing in companies uh, that I'm quietly really sort of trying to, to figure out, I guess, issues you don't want to see, right, are uh, does this person, do, do they know exactly what it is they're trying to do? And like I said earlier, from a measurable standpoint, that the one piece of business advice I give, you know, anyone that's asking me for mentorship or you know, oddly enough, I've been asked to go to some universities that, um, that's your had, first time to do that, right? Well, had I, had I applied <laughs> to some of the schools that I've, yeah. that I've been able to speak at, I would have not have been accepted. <laughs> so I tell people all the time, like I'm speaking at a school that turned me down. This is pretty funny, <laughs> yeah. you know, and all of the kids, you know, make substantially better grades than you do. And then you're standing there speaking to them. But I tell them all the time, yeah. you can't manage what you don't measure. And if you think you're a great manager, but you're not, you don't have these like very dialed in, you know, scorecards or, mm. or you're just however you like to view things. And it's, and it's, and it's very data driven. Yeah. You don't have to be a data scientist, but if you don't have measurables and you're not managing the business through metrics, then you're managing it through feel and feel won't scale. Sure. And then the other thing is just that I think is, is probably the biggest sin for, uh, like you go back and you, you talked about, you know, people, mm. you definitely can't miss, you know, if you've got five employees and you miss on one, you may not get off the ground, yeah. right? If you've got 500 employees and you miss on one, you're not probably going to notice the difference. Yeah. Um, 
but I definitely think that early on, if you just assume that people is that's a given, uh, an incomplete vision will kill you. And 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 you may think, well, who in the world would go start a company with an incomplete vision? Lots of people, <laughs> lots of people. And I think yeah. they think I've got sixty percent of a really good idea, or I've got seventy percent of how this should be done. Mm. It's your job to have a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're gonna if you're now gonna raise money or waste people's time or hire people, you better have a really strong vision. Of, uh, of of how it's going to go doesn't mean you have to be exactly right on all of it, but you need to be close enough that you can sort of start to dial it in and and just make minor revisions and calibrations. Yeah. But I can't tell you how many times I see someone walk in, and the more that you start to question it, there's a little bit of um, they're expecting to make a key hire, and then that person figure this thing out. Yeah. Or they're going to outsource something to a vendor, and then that vendor is going to figure something out. I think it's sort of reckless and irresponsible if, if if you don't have a complete vision of how something's gonna go. Now, as soon as it starts to take shape and form, you, you want that inclusivity. You want the you want people to be able yeah. to, to exchange ideas and things sure. like that. But you can't have a startup from scratch and think like, Well, I'm almost there. Yeah. Man, it's, that's that's awesome. That's super powerful. I mean, uh, something that I actually think you have this about you and I hope this is a compliment is uh, I often say that if you don't believe in you, who will? So when you walk into a room, when you're meeting with someone, when you're pitching that vision, if you don't have it 100% figured out, or at least portray that you have it 100% figured out, then no one's going to believe in you. Right. And, and I think you definitely have that about you. And I think you're right that that's a powerful tool for any CEO, any startup guy. I mean, in a lot of ways, you are that coach. You're the one that's getting buy-in. Right. And, you know, you've been in the room with the coach that you're like, I don't believe this guy. Yeah, right. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I I, think probably my least favorite saying in business is fake it till you make it. Yeah. We all know that sometimes there's there's an element of that. That's right. I mean, the last year, right? If you're in supply chain management and you're getting phone calls every day about when when is my stuff going to ship and, mm. you know, everybody's affected by inventory, you're doing your best. And there's probably some people saying like they're, they're kind of trying to speak it into existence that right. it's going to work fake it till you make it. Yeah. I think fortunately I've been very blessed to be in a situation that didn't necessarily have to be an operator again. I just, I, I this time I, I, I want to do this. I chose to do this. Yeah. Didn't have to work. And I think I, I laughingly told like one of my lawyers that I said, if I have to fake it, I won't make it. That's yeah. my new saying. Nice. Because I don't, I'm not, I just, I'm in a position right now. I don't have to do that. Right. Yep. So, yeah. and you know, until, you know, until I have something that keeps me up at night and, and just gonna eat me up if I don't do it, then I'm not gonna do it, right? Yeah. So um, that saying is now kind of flip-flop for me, right? Because I definitely, yeah. I mean, I go back, I was 26, 27 years old when I started FanCloth and, you know, man, I, I really had no idea what I was doing, right? I mean, I knew that people would want this and I knew if I was able to execute on it, but I mean, we were definitely like, a day-to-day -day business <laughs> um and so uh you know now i, I don't want to do that again yeah right yeah well i mean your story is an awesome one it's super compelling uh i think one thing that i'm going to steal from you now is that feel won't scale uh, that's kind of been a theme that you've had here from uh talking about carrots to uh, the traditional way of baseball scouting to identifying you know a next successful ceo that feel won't scale and so i think that's a, a pretty cool theme so you touched on two things. You touched on uh, your blue collar business you started. 
you've touched on your early success and what you're building at Carrot. So let's let's just start with one and just simplify it, make it as granular and simple as you can with to start a blue collar business. I'm an entrepreneur. What do I need to know? What do I need to do? Yeah. So I think about blue collar, I, I you know, tend to just immediately go service. At least I do. I think that probably very common to the things we've been talking about today. I think it, it, it really helps when you have like a burning desire to solve a problem. I've got this, this corny little, like I said, I wasn't classically trained to go to Wharton, didn't go to Yale. <laughs> so a lot of these little, these little mechanisms and, and processes that I've created for myself, they were just, I didn't know any different. So I, I came up with something and, and I'm lucky enough that I get to see a lot of deals. Yeah. So I get, I get a lot of decks, a lot of presentations, a lot of launches where someone's sure. you know, making an, an intro to someone. So I started my own little grid, right? Where I've got four squares and then in those squares, I say need. Okay. And, and to the, in the top square is need. And then I say, you know, skill and then scalability and then finances and each one of those four boxes, I, I grade one to 10. Nice. And then hopefully something meets the sort of proper number to then move forward with that process. The most important one to me is need. Mm -hmm. So whether it's blue collar or white collar business, but, but, but definitely blue collar, does the world really need it? And, and, and if you really think about it, there's so much has already been done. We're living in a sort of copycat environment, right? Where, you know, somebody has success in any industry and it gets publicized, everyone wants to copy it. Yeah. And so you have to be really honest with yourself about whatever I'm about to go do, especially from a sustainability, right? When you're thinking about the environment and just how well will the business sustain and what is the positive or negative sort of byproduct of, of what I'm about to go do, I think you better be able to look yourself in the mirror and say the world really needs this, yeah. right? Because just, you don't have the right to just go, just do something because someone else did it. That doesn't make you good at it, mm. right? And so that's why I kind of go through on a scale of one to 10 on need, I really want that to be high. If I can't go home and say, this is an eight or better, I probably don't even move forward with looking at that deal. Sure. And I use the same scoring system on myself. If I'm gonna go embark on like starting a company, I, you know, I need to pass that, that scoring system. Right. And like I said, so I think it goes from, you know, how, how much does the world need it to skill, you know, are you the right person to do it? Right. Am I the right person to do it? Is there someone better than me that, that could or should be doing it? Mm. Um, I think those are two really important questions to ask yourself when you go to start something. Now you guys work with a lot of smart people. And I think that if somebody's already to that point where they're doing that, then you know, they're responsible and, and, and they should move forward with, with mm -hmm. their idea. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think like we talked about making key hires, making sure you understand at least the first six months to a year, what, what you're trying to accomplish. Right. Um, and then just, just trying to win every day, just waking up and just winning it, you know, one day, one customer, yeah. one retention at a time. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So, I mean, the graph, that's super cool, powerful. I'm sure we're going to see a lot of copycats now on that. <laughs> uh, so you might want to trademark that one, but so now, all right, tech, white collar, is it different? I mean, are you looking for something different? Would you uh, encourage an entrepreneur in that space that there's something that different or is it the same? I think that in some cases, the capital requirement may be a little bit different. Um, I think, you know, trying to, it, it's probably a little tougher to go just right off of the street to walking into a, like, you know, if it's a firm or an agency or, a resource, a highly skilled developer, 
um, you know, the, a developer right now, a multi-language developer is not looking for work. Yeah. So in order to get their attention and you know, engage with them, your idea needs to be strong, right? When you peel the onion back, white collar, blue collar, you're trying to solve a problem, right? And the more prominent the problem is and the stronger your solution is, you know, the, the more viable the business is, is going to become. And so I think that, you know, they're, they both begin and end with, I want to make something better. Now, I think in the middle there, your capital requirements, your resources, those are going to vary. I'm not the ultimate believer that you've got to have the best business plan in the world to go have a successful business. We've all heard stories of people that had no business plan whatsoever. I don't think in my last business, I ever really wrote a true business plan, but you do need to have a plan. Mm. You know, you may, you may not have to have a business plan if you're not going out raising money and, and, and doing all that stuff, but you better have a plan. Mm. You know, you need to know exactly from a process standpoint early on, this is how our process is gonna flow and this is how I'm gonna generate new clients. This is how I'm gonna make sure that their engagement and, and, um, and, and the value they see in us is just only going up and, and we're strengthening that. But, um, you know, I think both businesses, you know, they kind of they kind of start in a similar place. They they then sort of, um, you know, balloon out and, and maybe a little bit different tactically. But then eventually they land right back in the same point of like once the business is up and running, how do I keep providing more value to my clients year over year over year? Yeah, that's cool, man. It comes back to what you spoke to earlier of CEO better know what the problem is and he, he better have a, a really hard grasp on that. Right. Yeah. I think it's really, really easy these days because whether you're on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, YouTube, it's so easy to get caught up in just this entrepreneurial vibe that's going on. And you feel, you know, you feel like you're missing out if you're not starting a company. And, you know, I mean, it's not for everyone. And I think you've heard this before, but you're never really your own boss. I, I think the first question I ask when I've done some of the speaking engagements, like you talked about is, I'll go to speak at like a, you know, a group that's getting an MBA in, on, in, in entrepreneurship and they want to ask me, you know, like, you know, certain questions and I'll start with like, Hey, I want everyone to stand up that is here because they want to be their own boss. And then I politely ask really tell those people like, you should walk out now. Like, I mean, you can sit back down, but really you should be walking out yeah. because you'll never be your own boss. Like if you really are like, sort of like, you know, your integrity is aligned and like where it should be you you'll never be your own boss right i mean i think i probably have more bosses right now than i've ever had in my life because <laughs> i've invested in more companies i work for the ceos and the teams that that i invest in i work for the clients that pay them so i think if you take the approach that you know everyone who's paying you is your boss you're gonna end up running a pretty good company yeah i think if you're if you're out there and you're your number one driver and trying to start a business is like you want to be the person in charge Sure. It's probably not a company I'm going to want to work for or you. Yeah. So, man, that's a, that's a great spot for a Higginbotham plug. Our COO or former COO is one of the founders of our company, Jim Hubbard. He always says, we work for the client. We don't work for each other. We don't work for Higginbotham. You know, we work for the client. Uh, and I, I think that is, you know, a very common thread I see in successful businesses that I work with is that just how are we improving the client experience every single day? Right. Yeah. I think you can tell really distinctly too, just in your everyday life as you go about, you know, I'm going to stop here and get my car washed. I'm going to go here and get coffee. I'm going to go to this hotel when I travel. You can really tell right off the bat, which companies sure. are of oh, yeah. that mindset and which ones have maybe gotten too much into their own sort of ideas. And they're right. not as focused as they used to be on 
serving the customer. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's powerful. That's so awesome. I think you got it. I think it, that one never changes. Yeah, you know that should be the number one driver on why you started a company. And 10, 15 years into it, you should you should be even more dialed in sure. and, and more sincere about trying to solve those problems. From an insurance perspective, you've been with the Thousand Life Group. You've been in the startup world. If you could see something change uh, in the insurance world, what would that be? Or maybe even you can speak to just what are some of the problems you've seen. Uh, maybe with the industry, uh, you know, anything in that realm, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I, so, um, there's probably the bigger chunk of my career, 10 years, we were a relatively large organization. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hovering between 750 to, you know, the parent company that, that, per, that purchased my old business, you know, I think we probably had 10,000, 11,000 people, um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, those are, those are, those are sort of unicorns, right? I know that's not everyone's business, but those organizations were really challenging. And I think you and I've had this conversation before that I remember, you know, every year having to do open enrollment in five, I think one time, even six languages. Um, and I think the unique thing about our business was, um, you know, there's a lot of companies that have a thousand people that are spread out. We had a thousand people in three buildings next to each other. So we were all, I saw everyone every day. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when you're going around with translators and you're the degrees of knowledge about insurance, you probably could have walked into any department with every person in the company and said, what does Carter do? What does Ted do? What does Lisa do? And they could, they could speak somewhat you know, intelligently about what everyone else in the company did. And now you say, everyone speak about insurance and on a scale of one to 10, they'd be about a two, <laughs> right? And I just yeah. think that everyone's experiences in their previous companies is so, so unique and so different, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I know that it was, even myself as the CEO, I, you know, I definitely didn't do everything that I needed to do in the early years of my career to sort of empathize with our employees and understand how important that was. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that leaders and companies need to do a way better job, as painful as it may be, and as, and as much as it doesn't feel like there's any ROI connected to it, there is, you need to sit down with your people in, in all different departments. And you need to have a, a better survey process, a better questionnaire process, a better way of retrieving information. You know, I think that oftentimes, this is gonna be really unpopular and sort of polarizing what I'm about to say, but oftentimes think that, that executives and companies sort of bend the narrative to support their own initiative when mm. it comes to benefits. Yeah. And I think we need to start thinking, you know, really truly thinking about what's best for me and, and, and maybe this category that I hear from and spend the most time with is not at all representational of what's best for this other group. And so I think just, you know, and, and, and I'll be the first to say that I'm, I'm talking to my younger self when I say that. So. <clears throat> there's some there's some amazing leaders and executives and CEOs out there that light years ahead of where I was, but I think that's that's my advice to to younger or or newer leaders inside of companies is just take your time, do your diligence, make sure you're getting the the the, the right advice and second opinions, and and you do what's best for your organization. If you, again, if you don't take care of your people, they can't take care of your clients, and that's a, that's a problem. So um, probably the number one single area in business that I've evolved the most is is just understanding 
um, insurance and benefits and that educational process that needs yeah. to take place for your employees. Man, that's awesome. Uh, you alluded to Starbucks earlier. Uh, one of the Howards wrote a book called It's Not About the Coffee. Uh, and it was just about right. that idea of the people. And he was really the one that, that was banging the drum of the importance of benefits to each one of their employees, which everyone knows that's one of the hallmarks of, of Starbucks today. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, on our side, I can see and you know completely agree with what you're saying that anymore, so often I'm talking to CEOs and telling them your greatest job and benefits now more than anything is educating your employees as to how they can be the most effective consumers of healthcare. So that means, you know, for them, how do I accomplish what I want to accomplish from a benefits perspective, from a taking care of my family perspective with spending the least amount of money and getting the highest quality care. Uh, and so that's exactly what you're speaking to. You know, if we can move that, that two, as you alluded to on the one to 10 scale up to a six, seven, to where your employees feel like I know what our benefits are. I know how to interact with them. It's a strong uh, benefit that I've been given by my employer. That can really change the game for a company right. culture. Absolutely. You know? I just think don't underestimate how big of a life change a little change in your plan may be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a really important thing. You know, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's just like a process change in a department. Right. It may not be a big deal to you as the supervisor. You say, hey, today, you know, we uh, we've always done everything left to right. Today, we're going to do it right to left. And then you walk out of the room. You don't think it's that big a deal. Right. People are going to melt down. <laughs> right. I mean, you're going to lose yeah. an hour or two hours a day. Now think about benefits times 10. Right. You may not think it's a big deal. It may you had the the three months of consultations to know what's out there mm. and the and and the previous history that your company had and you were able to review that and then make an educated decision. And then all of a sudden you take what was three months of an education that your team gave you and then you give your people a thirty minute explanation on why you switched and now you're blue cross blue shield and 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 you don't think it's a big deal because you had that, you know, that backstory. I'll try to make this really short, but I think you'll find this a very parallel analogy. I have a great friend that is one of the best storytellers I've ever heard in my life. Like I always say like he could sit and just talk to us about watching that grass grow <laughs> and you'll hang on to every word he says. A lot of his businesses have not had the level of success I thought they would because when you sit in the room with him, he's so dynamic. Um, but you got to have the backstory, mm. and then when he try, and then if you take something to market, and then he's not the one telling that story, and you don't have the backstory, that doesn't translate into success. Yeah, and I think it's the same in healthcare. Mm. That your executives had three months of diligence and sto in storytelling, and we know why this all happened, and then you cram that into a thirty-minute session on you know to your employees about what we're about to do. Sure. And I think it's just too 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 often we're we're kind of um, not as thoughtful as we should be um, when it comes to our employees and just and 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 you got to do what you got to do. I mean, people need to make change. This plan may not be the best for you this year. You they still deserve the respect of knowing why. Mm -hmm. And and I think if they know the backstory as to why we're making this change and why this change is important, you'll get buy-in. But I know that you know probably the two biggest regret, regretful moments in my career, we made a really big drastic change with our healthcare and didn't, didn't do nearly a good enough job kind of hand-holding and educating. Mm -hmm. And you know I spent the next three weeks doing a really, really messy cleanup project. Yeah, so. 
And I think that's a, a great word for everyone listening as well as for each of us as brokers at Higginbotham just to remember uh, the importance of that, you know, how, how much it does impact those people. I mean, and don't just assume that, yeah. that everything you're telling this person is making its way down. Yeah. I think that's what we found out, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, you may have done a phenomenal job talking to me about it. And then you just assume that I did as good of job talking about it. And, and it just, it just gets watered down. Right. So, you know, if you didn't do a really aligned process and push, then you'd be shocked at how like this group received it really well and understands it. And then there's these 200 people over here sure. that are really angry and, sure. and they didn't have any explanation. Sure. So I think, you know, just, just everyone from, you know, you and myself, like just making sure that we've got a, a very prepared, aligned message that gets pushed all the way down. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Nick, thank you for the time. Uh, I think it's been a super valuable conversation. I know for me and for all of our listeners, um, you know, I look forward to, to kind of hearing response from people and, uh, man, to seeing the success that Carrots has just like the rest of your business has. So, man, we appreciate it for sure. Awesome. I appreciate yeah. it.